Heavenly Father, we come to you today with a heart of expectation in knowing that as we seek, we will find you. When we knock, it shall be open to us. And Lord, I pray that we would knock on heaven's door this morning, that the, the revelation of your Son would be made known to us in our lives and in our journey toward the kingdom. May we be the instrument in which you will use to bring salvation, to bring healing, to bring reconciliation to those who are along the way, Lord. And I pray that, um, that you would enlarge our borders, that you will cause us to be the salt and light in this world, in this life. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. The pursuit of God is the sole longing to be filled with God, or rather with His righteousness. Psalms says, as the deer thirsts for the water brook, so my soul thirsts after you. When I say craving, you might understand what that is like. Even though you're not hungry and you're not thirsty, you're craving for something. For some of you who are sitting in this room today, you're craving for some kind of food, or maybe rather drink, or maybe it has some kind of little pellets in there, and have some caffeine, call it milk tea or something like that. There's some kind of craving that exists in us. Even though we don't really, we're not hungry or thirsty, but there's some craving in you. Why do you think you have that? Where's that coming from? If you're not hungry, if you're not physically hungry and you're not physically thirsty, why are you craving for something that is so foreign to our basic necessity? Where's that craving come from? It must have been your experience, isn't it? It's your experience. You have tasted it sometimes or somewhere before someone gave it to you. Your mind caused you to come back to it. You walk by maybe a bakery, and you look at the display, and there's something, even though you're not hungry, there's something in you that says, I need to stop. And you get like a dozen, maybe two dozen, maybe a couple of boxes that I can share. That's craving. The craving not necessarily comes from a, a need, but because you have an experience, and your mind craves for one thing, sugar. That's why when you see bakery, your mind wants to eat it because it wants sugar, because it needs sugar. 25, 28% of your energy is being used up by your brain. That's where the necessity comes in. The brain thinks that it needs energy. So when it sees something that can feed you energy, it wants it. Now let's take that and transpose it onto your spiritual life. Yes, very quiet. There's no craving there. There's nothing spiritually hungry or thirst that we can point to because we're not spiritually inclined. We're not spiritual beings. The Lord says, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Now some of you have some other cravings. Social justice. Do good for people. We'll talk about that. But what the Lord is talking about here is not that. Righteousness here is not that. 
Righteousness here is the things of God. Do you have a craving? Do you have a hunger and thirst for spiritual things? If you don't, then there's time, yes. If all you can think about right now is something that's in the physical realm, some food, some drink, some, something to satisfy yourself, and some of us, our craving is money, is wealth, fame, games, time that we spend on our phone, on the internet. Those are the cravings that would draw us back. It doesn't matter where you are. That's where your mind gravitates toward. You find yourself, where's my phone? Here it is. We look for it. We eat. We drink. We put stuff in the microwave. We're so connected. We become augmented by our devices. It becomes part of us. And when you put it down, you don't have it, you crave for it. That's not what the Lord Jesus is talking about here. There is a craving for the spiritual that we need to have. Because if you're spiritual beings, you should crave for spiritual things. Do you crave for the divine? Is there a longing to be with God? Craving for the spiritual. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 21. He that followeth after righteousness and mercy findeth life, righteousness and honor. The Lord blesses those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. He did not say that those who have obtained righteousness are blessed. Do you see the difference? He is saying those who are pursuing after, those who follow after, those who are running after, the, the craving after it, the pursuit of it, the expectation of a mind, of a brain is wired for the expectation of the thing. And that's why when you're in love, things look so rosy. But when you get married, things change. When you want and desire something so much, that thing becomes so beautiful. And then when you get it, uh, I need a new model. No longer good. It has a tiny little scratch now. The satisfaction you think comes when you obtain it. But it's not really. That is reserved until we get out of this body and into the glorified body. But for now, it's the pursuit of the thing that brings the blessing to us. He that followeth after righteousness and mercy findeth life. It's your pursuit of life. For those of you who are in the industry, for those of you who create things, you know that the process of creating something is exhilarating. When you finish with it, you're like, yes, I'm done. And then you put it aside and you go on to something else. It's the pursuit of the thing that makes us happy. When we stop, when it's all over, we're done. There's nothing else. So the Lord says, blessed are those who pursue after righteousness, who are hunger and thirst. It's the pursuit. It's not when you get it. It's the constant pursuit of righteousness. The Lord blesses those who are constantly hungry and thirst after righteousness. Never satisfied until that very end. And when we are out of this body, then we can truly enjoy God forever. Why in this flesh, the soul's longing for righteousness causes the Christian to be spiritually dynamic. What does that mean? It means that you're not sitting in one place. You're not static. Because when you sit in one place, our company is moving right now. And, well, there are certain areas in the company that has been touched for years, especially last year because of the shutdown. And when you touch those things that haven't been moved, those things that have been static for a long time, guess what we find? Lots of dust on them. You have your spiritual life has to be dynamic. You have to move. 
You have to grow from grace to grace, from faith to faith. You have to challenge yourself. Never be content. Never be full. Always be hungry. When you've done 34 verses in two minutes, I challenge you to do 36. Never content. Do it in another language. Right, Sarah? Never be content. Never say, I've done it. When you say, I've done it, I've arrived, dust begins to settle in your soul. You never use it again. Never settle. The process goes from the carnal to the spiritual. The sermon that the Lord preached went from verse 3 through verse 6. Let's look at it together. In verse 3, it starts by recognizing your state of poverty. If you don't know that you are spiritually impoverished, then you don't know that you need God. So if you think that you have everything you want, you are satisfied already, there's no need for you to pursue after God. In verse 4, because you recognize that you are poor, you recognize that you don't have the spiritual inclination, then you lament, you grieve, you mourn over the state. There's nothing you can do. God has to come and visit you. In verse 5, after you lament, then your heart is changed and you begin to cry out to God. And when God comes, he begins to teach you. And when your mind is enlightened to the spiritual thing, then verse 6 tells you that now you want it. You want to pursue after it. You want what the Spirit is telling you that you need. Now you are pursuing after righteousness. The state of your spiritual journey begins to cultivate a desire, a crave. If someone wants God, someone wants to mature and follow after righteousness, you try to tempt that person with anything else, they will tell you, you can keep it. I don't want it. But if you talk to someone who has no direction, no spiritual inclination whatsoever, whatever comes to them, they will turn to the left and they will turn to the right and they will gravitate to all kinds of stuff. They'll get themselves involved in all sorts of things because they have no direction. There's nothing that you pursue. There's not a single thing that you pursue. And so you engage in all kinds of stuff. And in the end, you have nothing. You go nowhere. There's nothing built because you're not focused. How can you be spiritually minded when all you can think about is boba tea? How can you be spiritually minded when right now sitting in this place, all you can think about is what's going to happen next, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink? You must be born again. Nicodemus was looking for something. He tried everything. Intellectual, he studied the law, he knew the things that the law requires, but he knew that it's not enough. So he went to Jesus and he asked, Master, how can I, how, how can I get to where you are going? And the Lord's answer to Nicodemus was, you must be born again. You don't have it in you. There's nothing that I can tell you that you can understand. He said, I tell you things on earth here you don't understand. If I tell you things in heaven, how can you understand? And I hope none of us here is ignorant of what I'm trying to say. Because if you don't understand, then you need to be born again. You must be born again. That's what the Lord told Nicodemus. He said, I told you earthly things and you did not believe. How shall you believe if I tell you heavenly things? You must be born again. Have you been born again? Some of you have been baptized, but my question is, have you been born again? God must give you the grace to be born again. God must visit you. You cannot find him. He must come to you. 
You see, if Jesus was not incarnate, there's nowhere that Nicodemus can go to to find Jesus. He must be given to us. Jesus must condescend and be a part of our humanity for us to reach him. And God has given to us his son. Can we find him? God must give you the grace. You see, Jesus was around, but he's not found by people who are blind. There are two kinds of blindness. There's a Bartimaeus blindness. He was physically blind. He could not see Jesus. He could only hear Jesus. That's why the gospel must be preached. And then there's another kind of blindness, and that is of the Pharisees. They say, we see. And then Jesus says, because you are spiritually blind, you will never see. You must be born again, and you must be born again in the Spirit. John chapter 3, verse 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Who gave birth to you? Your mom. Through the cooperation, hope, with your dad, you were born. But today the question is, are you born of the Spirit? Have you been born again by the Spirit? Let's talk about righteousness. So now we know that we must be born again to have this craving for the divine. If you have not been born again, well, the first step is God needs to give you the grace. You can be born again. What is this righteousness? Luther called an alien righteousness. It is a righteousness that's not natural to us. An alien righteousness is a foreign righteousness. It's a righteousness that's outside of the scope of our human existence. It is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The righteousness of the, that the Lord talks about in the sermon is not the human proper righteousness. There are things in the human confine that we think that is right and wrong. We can judge what's right and wrong sometimes. The Lord's righteousness is not equity, it's not justice, it's not moral, nor is it legal righteousness. It's not that the judge say that this is right and that is wrong, that is righteousness to God. No, no, it's not that. God's righteousness is the complete and perfect fulfillment of God's law. That is righteousness. Human righteousness is partial, is temporary, and is self-serving. Isaiah 64, verse 6. But we are all as unclean things, and all our righteousnesses are filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. That's our righteousness. That's not the righteousness Jesus is talking about. Our self-righteousness is abhorrent to God. It's filthy. And the scripture said, filthy rags. What we have is called an improper righteousness. It's not a proper righteousness. We seek ways to justify our sad existence through charitable work, sometimes when we can do it. And maybe we champion some social causes, believing there's something innately good in us. We're trying to prove to ourselves that we're good. We give some money to some charity. That's good enough. That's righteousness. That's not it. Not it. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. Turn with me and stay in Romans chapter 7. In verse 18, he says, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. For to will is present in me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. The Apostle Paul is saying that I know I want to do something that is good, but while I'm in this flesh, I can't do it. I can't do what's good. Now, listen, this is the Apostle Paul talking. 
he knows the 613 laws. He said, concerning the law, blameless. But he said, I find in this flesh, in your flesh, you're in my flesh. Now, if the Apostle Paul can't do it, then I'll tell you I can't do it. Maybe you can. You're better than the Apostle Paul. But if the Apostle Paul say he can't, and he's the father of my faith, I can't do it. There's something that's limiting by our flesh, and that is sin. Sin prevents us from doing the, what God considered righteous. Because for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. The Apostle Paul says in the next chapter, the flesh is the limiting factor. While you live in the flesh, you cannot do the right thing. You cannot perform what is righteous. So how can you seek after righteousness if it's not present in you? Well, exactly, that's the point. Because it is not in us, we need to pursue it. How? Humanity is cursed with sin. And because this curse, we don't know to pursue after righteousness. But until the gospel is preached to us, then we know that there is a righteousness out there. You're sitting in this room, you hear the gospel being preached, and you know that there is a righteousness that is outside of us. But how do you find it? How to seek after it? That's what the message today is about. Do you have a desire to seek after God's righteousness? And what is that righteousness? Do you have that desire? The flesh is bound to do things that satisfy the flesh. We need to conquer our flesh first before we can do anything. If you cannot overcome your flesh, there's nothing we can do. Because that's what you are. You and I, we are in charge of our flesh. We tell it what to do. It can't tell you what to do. I'm super tired today. I'm very tired today. But my flesh cannot dictate what I should do. It's the Lord that says, you got to do this. Ezekiel, in the morning, he prophesied. At evening, his wife died. Circumstances do not dictate what we do. God tells us what we do, and we do it, even though we don't want to do it. The flesh is something that you must master. Hunger and thirst is a state in which we need to recognize. You need to be hungry for an extended period of time to understand what this is about. If you have never fasted, you must do it. Because if not, then you won't understand what is this about. You hold off touching whatever you want to touch. Is there that self-control that you see something and you say no? If not, then we are not able to pursue after the spiritual thing. If there's no self-discipline, we need to master our flesh. We need to say no to it. When you deprive yourself of what you want, you begin to take control of this flesh. Then you know what it means to be hungry and thirsty. And you know what's important. And in those times, the essential thing will begin to surface. And you know those things are important and necessary. Look back with me to verse 5. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sin, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. This is what the flesh does. When you do the things that the flesh wants you to do, it brings forth death. But if you deny those things that the flesh wants, the Apostle Paul will give you the how in the last two verses. If you deny the flesh what it wants to do, 
then now you have control over your flesh, then you can yield your body to the Spirit. Then the Holy Spirit will do what God will for you. If you do what your flesh wants you to do, you're not going to succeed. You need to take control of your flesh, then yield that control to God. But if your flesh is controlling you, then the motion of sin will prevent the flesh to yield itself to God. The flesh will not yield itself to God. You must take control of your flesh and yield to God. The Apostle Paul says, and the motion, meaning the automaton, the automatic mode of your flesh, is sin. If you're not conscious of your behavior, if you're not conscious of your life, you will yield yourself to do sin. That's how your life is designed. That's how the flesh was sold into sin. And you cannot escape it. Any righteousness that comes from man is worthless. Let my body be born. It means nothing. It means nothing. We've been sold into sin, unable to escape. We made our bed in hell. And what can we do? But thanks be to God, He did not forget you. you know, all this up to now, I tell you, the motion of sin, the law, the condemnation of our flesh brings us to hell. But here's what the Lord says. In Psalm 139, verse 7 and 8. Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. And if I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. There's no place that Jesus did not go. He went to heaven, and he went to the depths of hell to find you and to bring you back, to set you on a spiritual journey. And how did he do this? In Galatians 4, 4 and 5, the Apostle Paul says that in due time, Jesus Christ was born of a woman and for sin made under the law so that he might bring us out from the law. The Lord Jesus Christ was made just like you and I. He was hungry. He fasted 40 days and he was hungry. The Bible says he was tired in the, in the boat. He slept on the pillow. Yet he did not commit himself to fulfill the will of the flesh, but he committed himself to fulfill the will of the Father. And he completed perfectly the requirement of the law so that by the works of the law, the Lord Jesus Christ was declared righteous, the righteousness of God. So if he fulfilled the work of the law, he should be rewarded for his righteousness, right? He should be glorified. But instead of being glorified, he was crucified because he exchanged that work of the law for our unrighteousness. He gave us His righteousness so that we can have His righteousness and He takes on our sin. And He died for us on the cross. Can you hear the sound of the nail? That's a gospel. Christ crucified. That's a gospel. He was crucified. He fulfilled the law instead of getting the reward of it, and that is glory. We now become inheritors of that glory. He took our place. He took our sin. That's what it means. That's what Christ's death means to us. Our deliverer put on flesh, and he lived under the law just like you and I, and he fulfilled the requirements of it perfectly so that we can be the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For he hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus Christ went to hell, conquered death, 
resurrected so that you and I today might be made the righteousness of God. Do you understand what this means? To hunger and thirst after righteousness. Righteousness is not a thing, is not a philosophy, is not some kind of work. Righteousness is a person. Righteousness is Jesus Christ. Do you understand this? Is your heart burned when you understand that Jesus Christ paid for you? That he exchanged your unworthiness and unrighteousness and he was crucified for our sins and our faults so that now you can be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Does that turn your heart? Does that cause you to even think about, I must pursue this righteousness. I must pursue God. Because that's what it means to hunger and thirst after God. What it means is that you get it. You understand. There is a revelation that the Holy Spirit made in your heart so that now you can pursue after that righteousness. You run after it. Hunger and thirst after righteousness is pursuit of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. Not some kind of work. It's your heart inclination and your heart desire and your heart pursuit of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in prayer. It's in the Word. It's in performing in obedience what God is asking us to do without thinking, I'm doing this and God will give me something. No, it is because God needs this to be done and I'm His servant and I will do it. In respect to the kind of rewards that can come or may come or may not come at all, it doesn't matter. I would do it even though my flesh is weak, even though I don't want to do it in this flesh. But this is what God wants me to do and so by it, I'll do it. I'll do it. Is that your pursuit? That is what it means to hunger and thirst after righteousness because this is the spiritual right thing for us to do, to be here, to encourage each other, to live a holy and sanctified life for the Lord. That's what it means to pursue after righteousness. It means to deny your flesh of the things that it wants, to consider the work of your hand, to think about, should I be doing this? Or what is the will of God? That is what it means to hunger and thirst after righteousness. There are those things that we must do But the most important and the most essential thing to do, Jesus says, Mary got it. She's right here, sitting at his feet and listening to him. And no one can take that away from her. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. Do not fulfill the lusts of your flesh. This is the battle that you and I, we must face every day. There are things that you want to do. And the things that, kids, you need to do, and adults too, is to say no. When you're about to double tap and look at your phone, put it down and say no. Try it to see if you can conquer this piece of technology. It should not be that hard, but because we come so accustomed to doing the first thing that comes into our mind. I'm hungry, so I'm grabbing for something and shoving it into my mouth. Stop and reconsider. We need to take control over our body. It's 9.30, I need to climb in bed even though there's work yet to be done. Pursuing after righteousness begins with you taking control of your desires. Jesus says, if you want to follow me, deny yourself first. Don't take up the cross. Deny yourself first. Then take up the cross and follow me. Put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and not make provision for the flesh. Do not give it any space and time. If you have extra energy, your brain can use it. Your brain will use it if you cause your brain to use it. If you have extra energy, then devote yourself in the study of the Scripture. You cannot pursue Jesus Christ unless the grace of God is given to you. None of these things mean anything unless God shows up and grants you the grace. It's all God's work so that no man 
all women can glory in his presence. Stop the junk food. First Peter chapter 2, verse 3 verses. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisy and envies and evil speakings, we must stop the junk food. If you want to seek after righteousness, if you want to taste the Lord, that's what Peter is telling you. What we need to do, what the apostle Peter is telling us is that if you want to taste the Lord, if you want to develop a craving for something, you need to taste it. And for you to taste something, the essence of it, your palate, your spiritual palate needs to be clean. And the apostle Peter says, the first thing you need to do is lay aside those things that you feed your flesh. He's saying lay aside the malice or guile, hypocrisy, envies, and evil speakings. You've been born again, we need to put these things aside. If you've been born again, then the Apostle Peter tells us to lay aside these things. Don't continue to engage in it. Now, it might not be these things, it might might be something else. Put those things aside. Those are what I consider junk food. Learn from Bartimaeus. When he heard that Jesus was coming, Son of David, have mercy on me. And the Lord stopped, and the Lord called him. The Bible says he took off his coat, he cast it aside, He left all his begging stuff aside, and then he followed the Lord. You see, the righteousness of God can't be put over your unrighteousness. You cannot taste the Lord with all kinds of junk food in your mouth. You need to clean out your palate so that you can taste the Lord. You need to leave that old life, cast aside the old garment, cannot put new wine in old bottles. You need to cast it aside. And here's what the Apostle Peter says. As newborn babes in verse 2, Desire the sincere milk of the word. It starts right here, my friends. It starts right here. And that's why I push so hard for you to study the scripture, to get you to get a taste of the scripture, because it starts right here. The Apostle Peter said, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, the the milk that comes from the word, but if you don't read it, you don't have it. If you don't have it in your mind, you don't have it. And here's what he said, that you may grow thereby, if so be, that you've tasted that the Lord is gracious. If you taste it, the Lord is gracious. Then you will crave the divine. Then you pursue after him. Then you will want to thirst after the word of God. Jesus is the word of God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. I pray that the Lord will give you the taste of the divine, because without it, we never develop the craving for the Lord. If you've been born again, you will taste that the Lord, he is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusted in him. Father, I pray for everyone who is here. I pray that they will taste your mercy, taste your goodness, taste that you are beyond our imaginations. And we thank you, Lord, that you have not forsaken us, that you have given us your spirit, that by your spirit we are drawn to you. Take apart those things that are in our lives. I pray that those who are born again in you will develop a sense of your divine, a sense of the sincere milk of the word, that they will come to you and seek after and hunger after righteousness. And I pray that in, in the coming days, as we are relaunching the church, Lord, that uh, you raise up a people who have this desire, this pursuit of your righteousness. May your grace and mercy fill our hearts. May you continue to lead and guide us May your spirit always shine a light and may we be the light and the salt of this world that through and by your spirit, we will be instruments for your kingdom's sake. In your name we pray.
Amen.